Appalachian Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. Appalachian Meets World, we're back with a special Halloween edition. It's Will dun, 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 and Neil. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. So here we are, oh, Neil. Oh my God. Costume. <laughs> Hell in the world. No, no perfect. <laughs> so if anybody listens to our episode, they had to know what I was going to be for Halloween, right? But how could anybody have guessed what you are for Halloween? Well, because I, mean, I could have guessed what you were going to be. So do you want to tell the listeners what we are? Oh, yeah, they got to know. So if they listen to any episodes, they know my favorite thing to talk about. Is my chickens. <laughs> Your chickens. So, you know, I'm a chicken. I, I mean, look at this. It, that is perfect. <laughs> and you want to tell them what I am? Oh, and then, you know, you think I've got the perfect Halloween costume. I sit down with my chicken costume on and you are the egg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the chicken and the egg. I'm just glad that everybody can see and know that I was on top. The chicken was on top. The no, the egg comes first. comes first. No, the egg comes first. Comes first. <laughs> I mean, you got to have a chicken to get an egg, right? No, you got to have an egg to hatch the chicken. No, no. The chicken has to lay the egg that's so, the reason i'm the egg because the egg comes first <laughs> <laughs> oh that's perfect we did not plan this oh uh, we, we uh we've really outdone ourselves here on halloween yeah i love halloween it's great yeah i mean it is my wife's favorite holiday it's my daughter's favorite holiday <laughs> yeah i know y'all have a tradition y'all always have a halloween party right yeah, yeah, it's a long-standing tradition now. We got a Rachel uh, goes all out, right? Goes all out on Halloween, and my house is already decorated for Halloween. And I can only imagine what will happen over the course of the next week at my house. So it'll it'll be a fun weekend. <laughs> I know you're the chicken this year, but do you have a favorite costume that you've ever been? Oh man, there's been so many over the years. I don't know. If I could, you know, I always like hers better than mine. She always has the best. She you does, you know, if it's a skeleton face or, yeah, sometimes we match. Last year, she had an incredible artistic paint job on her face that half of her face was like a skeleton and the other half was normal. Who did it? it? Was, uh, she did it. What? Yeah, it was, it was awesome. Got skills. Yeah, I mean, that's just one of many. She always uh, does a good job of this year. This year, we are not going to match. This year, she's a mermaid. And you're a chicken. So by, the time, <laughs> by the time this episode comes out, you know, I won't be giving away her secret. But, uh, yeah, she's a mermaid, and I'm a chicken. So, you know. Oh, well, that's perfect. My favorite costume that I've ever been, I love wearing masks on Halloween. You can just, you can be anybody when, you, when you're wearing a mask and no, no one knows. It's so great. So my last favorite, year, Trump. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> my favorite costume, I was a, one year I was a, the big bad wolf, full mask, 
Harry, flannel. It was just, it was a good time. Uh-huh. I, had, I had to drink out of my a straw coming out of my nose because the math mask was over my mouth and I was in I was in character all night. So I, I didn't take it off. Oh wow. That's yeah. impressive. Yeah, it was fun. I'm afraid to put a mask on this year with a you know a young child. I'll scare Titus to death. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. I didn't think about that. So <laughs> any other Halloween traditions besides the big party? You know, just giving out candy to all the trick-or-treaters, you know. We usually y'all have- stay at the house. One of you at the house, one of you take the kids, or, or how do you do that? Yeah, we kind of rotate it. Sometimes, usually we have enough people at our house that we can both kind of skip out and take the kids around the neighborhood. There's five or 600 trick-or-treaters that'll come through our neighborhood. So, Oh, my gosh. Are yeah, you serious? It'll, it'll be crazy. Yeah. We just moved, as you know, but before we had a ton of trick-or-treaters, and it was one of those tag-team deals. I'd, I'd take the kids a couple blocks, come back to the house, and then Christine would take the kids a couple more blocks. I'd hand out candy, vice versa. But now where we live, our house sits back off the road and we get zero trick-or-treaters. Oh, man. We were kind of disappointed last year. We put out some candy and no one came. You just turn the lights out and like say goodnight or what? I mean, we take the kids out, but no one comes to our house. You're like the creepy house that nobody. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a dare when they pass your house. They're like, I dare you to go to this house. (laughs) The haunted house on the hill. that's your house (laughs) you're the one scaring the kids speaking of spooky houses appalachia is just full of ghost tales stories cryptids just full of folklore half the podcasts about appalachia are about the the hauntings and i don't know if you ever listened to oh gods of appalachia but it's a new like fictional podcast about this ghost story in appalachia Oh, man, I thought Freddy Krueger was from Appalachia when I was a kid. But <laughs> you made me watch him. You probably, you probably told that story. Live here, Mom. <laughs> forced you to watch it. But I'm sure a lot. it affected you. It's a lie. I'm just going to roll off a few of the ghosts and stories that I know of and, and see if you have ever heard of them. But that you know of or Google knows of? Google. Okay, okay, okay. Me and Google. No, <laughs> yeah. But I have heard of some of them. So Please the be- that egg off your head. What's that? <laughs> That's my egg. <laughs> the uh, Bell Witch in Adams, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Back in the 1800s, I guess. Have you, have you ever heard of the Bell Witch? Absolutely. Cool. Doing traveling down in that part of the world in Tennessee, you'll you'll hear about it. There's a several in Tennessee. The Greenbrier Briar Ghost, I think, sighting maybe in a restaurant in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. The Greenbrier Ghost. Or Lucy. Everybody's, I've heard of Lucy. Lucy, the hitchhiker in Gatlinburg. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's a legend. The Pink Lady. Yeah. Grove Park Inn. Grove Park in Asheville. Asheville, yeah. That's, that's huge. Yeah. Brown Mountain Lights in North Carolina. This saw those in 1913. These, these lights. I, I don't know. I've never heard of that one, but. Uh, google had yeah the moon-eyed people it's old cherokee indian tale i guess they they claim to have seen some small bearded white men with these <laughs> these large blue eyes and happened in appalachia in the smoky mountains <laughs> pale face large blue eyes uh, flatwoods monster is a big one back in back in the 50s i guess they saw some ufos which is like the second or third sighting of ufos which is a big deal back then but they have their own on a museum uh, in braxton county that's in west virginia 
Mm-hmm. The only other one that Google told me about was the Devil's Courthouse in Whiteside Mountain in North Carolina. I'd never heard of that one. Hmm. Me neither. Yeah, the most popular there has to be the Pink Lady. I think so. Yeah. I the mean, Grove Park. Yeah. Yeah. I've I, stayed at the Grove Park and, and, I heard about it before I went. I didn't see her while I was there. Yeah, they got a thing there. You can read about her or whatever. Yeah. Did you see her? She stayed with me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, I didn't see her when I was there, but I read about her. I guess I did leave out the probably biggest one, which is really why we're having this special Halloween episode. Legendary. The Mothman. Oh, yeah. Point Pleasant. West Virginia. The heart of Appalachia. It's huge, man. They they have their own statue right there on Town Square and a museum, a festival. Mm-hmm. You know, every small town in Appalachia has a festival, but how would you like to have the place that has the Mothman Festival? Isn't that, isn't that a cool thing to have your city be inundated with for a for a period of time every year? What a what a cool thing to have. Yeah, it's pretty neat. It's the history, the story. And, and I know I've heard people from Point Pleasant. I mean, they're proud. They're proud of the Mothman. It, it, you know, it was made into a movie, The Mothman Prophecies. I've never seen it. Have pretty you big. seen The Mothman? You have? No, have you? Have I seen The Mothman or the movie? The actual Mothman. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know you used to go on them long hunts by yourself up in the hills there. It's in true. And it's I true. thought maybe he claims he's seen The Mothman. I don't know. <laughs> Bigfoot or a bobcat. I've seen a few bobcats. Yeah, I think you claimed to see Bigfoot at one time. But <laughs> anyway, that's another story. But yeah, the Mothman is what it's all about tonight. And Halloween has all kinds of different tales and stories behind it. And usually they're involved around scary things. But uh, it's not always scary things, I guess, on Halloween. But But tonight gives us an opportunity to get the story of the Mothman out there to the masses. And I'm looking forward to talking to, uh, to, to Steve Ward here and uh, just getting his, his chronicles of uh, over uh, what 50 year time period about the Mothman. Yeah. He is a paranormal researcher and he's been, like you said, been chasing the Mothman ever since its first sighting November of 1966. So it's pretty cool to have him on to, to give the story, to talk about it. He's got major connections to Point Pleasant. He's always there at the festival giving tours. This this will be a different episode, Halloween special edition. So we're just going to dive right in. Hope he likes our costumes. <laughs> we'll ask him. We should ask him what comes first. I mean, we all know the egg. We all know. Yeah, whatever. All right, let's get into it. tonight's Halloween episode, we have special guest Steve Ward. He's a paranormal expert and researcher with his own podcast, The High Strangeness Factor. He's also a correspondent on the Military X-Files. He's well known in the paranormal world for his research. He's been chasing the legend of the Mothman since its first appearance in November of 1966. Also want to mention he's working on his first book. Steve, thank you for being on our special Halloween episode. We greatly appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, that book, by the way, will be out sometime this decade. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. We just wanted to dive right into this, this Appalachian legend that is the Mothman. 
we know, like I, like I mentioned, you've been chasing it for well over 50 years since its original sighting and been fascinated by it. As the expert Mothman enthusiast, can you just tell us the story of the Mothman and give us the background? I do hesitate. It's hard to label people as experts in this field. You could say I'm pretty knowledgeable. I've been at this for several decades. But since none of us are really sure what, what it is, even John Keel, the author of the Mothman Prophecies, wasn't sure what it was. So we, we have to be careful. I, I think I'd get a higher pay rate as an expert anyway, so you don't want to have to deal with that. I just like but saying I, expert. <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> but just to, to paint a picture, I was in, in junior high in South, in, actually just north of, of the Detroit area. And that's when, if you remember your history, you young kids, there, there was a wave of UFO sightings in, in the Midwest, but also in, in Michigan. This hit the Ann Arbor, Dexter, Hillsdale area. So this is like the, the invading alien hordes landing in my backyard. Unfortunately, I didn't drive and I couldn't play UFO investigator. But this was covered on the news every day. And there were very credible sightings by police officers. There was a, a landing on the Frank Manor farm in Dexter. And it got a lot of attention. Gerald Ford, then the senator in Michigan, got a little bit perturbed that it wasn't being taken seriously. So then all of a sudden, Project Blue Book did send some people uh, to check it out. And that's when Dr. J. Allen Hynek was still associated with, with uh, Project Blue Book. He, he had to, he had to uh, uh, tread the, the line because he was attached to the Air Force. They wanted him to downplay this. Although while he started out as, as, as a skeptic, he started to see that there was really something to these sightings and that many of these witnesses were very credible. But he, he made the, uh, the mistake of suggesting that some of these sightings, the ones in Hillsdale, there was a, an all-woman's college there, and they saw these lights in, in a swampy area, suggested that they might be swamp gas or marsh gas. And of course, the news media said, okay, the mystery of the UFO is solved. It's swamp gas. And of course, I actually saw Hynek speak 10 years later in Ann Arbor at a uh, MUFON, the, the Mutual UFO Network Symposium. By then, he had left Blue Book. He started the Center for UFO Studies, became one of the good guys. He was wearing a white hat now instead of a black hat. <laughs> his, his talk was called Swamp Gas Plus 10 and Counting. And it was, it was really hilarious. He showed some of these great cartoons that, that came out at the time. One was... Uh, it showed the little green men with their big blasters and they have just landed. They've accosted a earthling on the sidewalk and they said, take us to the one that called us swamp gas. So he, he had quite a, quite a good time with that lecture and he explained what happened and the mistakes he made and what they were doing at that time. So it was, it was really great to see him. Well, that laid the groundwork. It was the following November. I, I, this is even before the Mothman got his name. It was just a winged humanoid with red glowing eyes. It chased two couples down Route 62 north of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Point Pleasant lies right on the Ohio River. The, they saw this thing at the, what they call the TNT area. Uh, the TNT area was a munitions area during World War II. And if you look at the old black and white photographs, you'll see these, this huge complex of buildings and so forth where they developed uh, explosives for the war effort. And they stored them in these what they call these concrete igloos or bunkers. And they were all overgrown with foliage so that if the enemy ever flew over, it would just look like terrain. But that was long gone by the time 
November 66 rolled along. It was, uh, it, it has become the McClintic wildlife area. Now it's really desolate. It's creepy in the daytime. Imagine what it's like at the nighttime. But these, these two couples saw this winged humanoid, about six, seven feet tall, red glowing eyes, about a 10 foot wingspan. They saw it by the old North power plant. They took off. It followed them into town. And that was the first sighting. It was the, the Scarberries and the Mallets, two married couples that saw this for the first time. And it was a little bit later that he got his name. It was, uh, nobody knows who dubbed him the Mothman. Some creative copy editor gets the credit, but, but no notoriety, unfortunately. But this, this was uh, seen at the time of the, the Batman TV show was popular on TV with Adam West. So it was just a play on the, on the you know, uh, term Batman, uh, because it actually didn't look anything like a moth. So that was the first major sighting. And then John Keel chronicled a little over 100 people that had seen this thing between uh, roughly November 15th, 1966, and December 15th, 1967. That's when the Silver Bridge collapsed, when, when 46 people lost their lives. While everything didn't actually stop then, it seemed like things tapered off a bit, or at least the reports did. That's kind of it in a nutshell. But uh, like I say, they were uh, people had missing time experiences. There were cattle mutilations. There were alleged visits by the mysterious men in black. It was one of these areas, one of these high strangest areas, where all these things seemed to come together. So for me, I have had been following John Keel's writings for some time. He wrote uh, a book. Well, two books came out in 1970. One was called Strange Creatures from Time and Space, and the other one was called Operation Trojan Horse. Strange Creatures from Time and Space covered all kinds of cryptids and, and humanoids and so forth. The thing he was trying to deal with, he, he used the term window areas. He was trying to come to grips with why do these things sort of seem to pop up? People see them, scares the hell out of them, leave footprints or whatever. And then they're gone. In Trojan Horse, he goes further. He actually makes connections between all aspects of the paranormal, much like Charles Fort did. Charles Fort said, you begin to measure a circle at any point. In fact, Keel hated to be called a ufologist. He considered himself a Fortian, like Charles Fort. So then a few years later, he'd been trying to get the, the book on the Mothman published for some time, and he gave up. Finally, his editor said, okay, it's time to do a book on the Mothman. So he gets out his tattered briefcase and goes through all his writings and his articles, and he puts together this book called The Mothman. Well, actually, he wanted to call it The Year of the Garuda. The Garuda is the sort of a, 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 a giant bird or protector of Hindu mythology. The editor decided it would be called The Mothman Prophecies. So that was published about 75 or 76. And I was the guy, one of the few people, because it didn't sell well when it first came out, I was there to get the hardcover with the dust jacket in my hot little hands. I couldn't wait to read it. And then the next year, I went down to Point Pleasant for the first time in uh, 77. I didn't want to talk to anybody because this was only 10 years after the bridge tragedy. And I didn't want to, uh, you know, to, to ask somebody about the Mothman that may have lost a family member or a friend on the bridge. So I found the old uh, North Power Plant myself, went out there with my trusty 35 millimeter camera with black and white film. And I was met halfway by this gentleman in a hard hat and coveralls. And he said, asked me what I was doing there. And I said, well, you know, I'd heard about, they used to call it the bird. You know, I said, I'd heard about the bird 10 years ago and I was just curious. And he, he rolled his eyes and he said, 
Yeah, I remember. All he, he wanted to make sure that he didn't mind me going in taking pictures, but it was an old ruin. And he didn't want me to hurt myself in there. So he kind of supervised me, let me take all the pictures I wanted to. But that was my first trip to Point Pleasant. It took another almost almost 30 years to go to my first Mothman festival. Have you talked to anyone that has actually claimed to have seen the Mothman? Yes, I talked to uh, Linda Scarberry, actually, before she passed. She was one of the two couples that uh, the, the others won't ever won't talk about it, that were in that car that night. But I talked to her one-on-one, -on -one and she stands by her story. She saw it again a few times after that. I talked to Tom Urie, as another person mentioned in the Mothman Prophecies. He didn't actually see the Mothman, per se. He saw something more like a Thunderbird, a giant bird with about a 10 or 12-foot wingspan. It was misreported in the uh, Mothman Prophecies. I think the editors probably had a little fun with that. Uh, they were always messing with Keel stuff. In these in these areas, there are people, you know, see a lot of different things sometimes. Most of the people saw this six or seven foot entity with wings. I talked to uh, Robin Bellamy, saw it by the, by, the, uh, the, by the river one time when she was uh, 12 years old. There have been a couple other people. Uh, Marcella Deweese was out there uh, with her bow in, uh, in the TNT area, which was a, a place to find romance, apparently, back in those days. She saw this big shadowy thing come up and fly over the car, and they got the hell out of there. So I've talked to a few people of the original people that saw it. Uh, but here's, here's one thing about the Mothman. Uh, people ask me, well, what was it? You know, because uh, there's all kinds of theories uh, about, uh, you know, toxic waste and an alien or whatever. The thing is, it's a paradox. Six or seven feet tall, 10-foot wingspan doesn't really compute. Uh, my biologist would probably say it couldn't lift anything that, that size. But also, it didn't always flap its wings when it took off. Sometimes it would put its wings behind it and take off straight like a helicopter. In some ways, it acted like more like an apparition, but it did seem to leave footprints, at least by the, the old North Power Plant. There was one sighting. The, the uh, name of the man isn't given. He was an official in Point Pleasant. He went out to his porch and saw this thing standing on his uh, in his front yard, and he saw the red glowing eyes, and he went into some kind of trance or something because he lost 10 or 15 minutes before it took off. So we don't know what happened there. And another thing, to throw another wrench in it, John Keel got a few reports where people were and had was a close proximity to it, and it sounded like it was a humming or something mechanical. So... What the hell is it? A drone, an apparition, a flesh and blood creature? It just, it's one of these things that just doesn't make any sense. And you do find that kind of, you know, contradictory phenomena sometimes in these areas. Now it's a major draw for Point Pleasant. They have a museum. Yes. They have the festival, like you mentioned. They have a statue right in town square, yep. which is a pretty amazing, amazing statue. It's all silver. Can you, so you've been to the festival. What, what all does it entail and, and how, how many people does it draw? Do you know? Well, well now it's drawing something like 10 or 12,000. You know, it started out with humble beginnings, but, and it's, it's, it's completely open. The only thing that costs a few bucks is uh, to go on the TNT Hayride. And there's three of us that do the tours. Uh, Jeff Wamsley is one of them. Uh, Brittany Sayre, who was a former Miss Mockman, by the way, she does one of the other tours and I do one also. I, I, and sometimes I'll ask people, I say, well, who's the, uh, who came the furthest? And one, one time, one gentleman with a, quite a brogue spoke up and said, Belfast. <laughs> so he won that round. 
it's two days, a Saturday and Sunday. They have speakers all day at the local theater there. And the speakers range from everything, uh, cryptids, ghost hunters, uh, UFO investigators. And you, get, and you get some really big names there like uh, Nick Redfern and Ken Earhart and, and Stan Gordon, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Unfortunately, we lost her a couple of years ago, but she was there every year. The side street where the Mothman statue is, it, right next to that is this great museum, which is so well done. It has memorabilia from the film. It has all the history of uh, the sightings and so forth and the UFOs. It has John Keel's infamous white suit in a glass case. Uh, it, it's just, uh, it just really has everything and, and extremely well done. They have a, uh, a store where you can buy t-shirts and so forth. And it's all very high quality. <clears throat> the, uh, during the festival, that side street there is where most of the, the, the vendors that set up there, most of them are, are speakers and so forth. So that's where you find them. Along Main Street, you've got everything. You've got food. You've got one of these pole lines, you know, for the kids. I forget what the sky ties or whatever they are. Uh, the you've got the, the bouncy houses. You know, you've got all that stuff for, for kids that need to work off some energy. And that's the second, go- second week in September? Third weekend, third always week. the third weekend. Yeah, there are a lot of people there with, with serious talks, but there's certainly no shame in buying a Mothman t-shirt or some kind of a souvenir to help support the, the movement. It's really grown. It's just just amazing. Yeah, people and, from Point Pleasant are definitely proud of the Mothman. I'm, oh, I'm, sure. Yeah. When was the last claim sighting of the Mothman? That's a good question. There have been some, I, I probably don't have that. I don't know that, but there have been some, I know in the 90s and probably uh, within the last 10 years, but you have to be kind of careful when people, you know, after the fact, you know, I'm not, not doubting anybody, but uh, oftentimes the latecomers, you, you kind of wonder about, you know, you have to be a little careful about the sightings. Also, we hear, you know, reports of winged creatures all over the U.S. and the world. They want to dub that Mothman. Well, Mothman was kind of a specific thing or entity. It had a, a very kind of a unique description. It didn't almost didn't seem like it had a head because the eyes were sort of down in what might be its chest, uh, kind of like a big owl. So it was, uh, there's only one other sighting in, in Kent, England, about three years before that actually looked a lot like this particular creature. So there ha- really hasn't been very many since that that you know major wave in the mid 60s so there's no there's no doubt in my mind that uh, a creature that, that was sighted in the heart of appalachia is not going to leave appalachia uh, probably not <laughs> <laughs> just pr- maybe hunkering down you know too many yeah, too many absolutely. damn tourists you know too, too, <laughs> steve i gotta i gotta ask you since this is our halloween episode have you ever been the mothman for halloween no i was a man in black though Okay. Okay. Yeah, but but I do, I do have kind of a uh, a creepy story. Now I'm I'm the guy that I always said nothing happens to me. I you know many people get into this because they've had some kind of an experience. They've seen a strange light or missing time, or they've seen a Bigfoot, and that pulls them into this. Me, I was just a kid that uh, was interested in uh, you know science and the and the solar system. I mean, I had a solar system map when Pluto was still a planet. And Jupiter only had 12 moons. I mean, that's how far back I go. One night, I went into the TNT area alone just to see if I had the uh, intestinal fortitude to do it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, nothing, nothing happened. I had my camera going. I had my recorder going like a real paranormal investigator. Well, I drove back and I saw a couple flashes of light. And I don't know 
what it was. I don't know. It was kind of like a strobe. It could have been something very mundane, but I foolishly didn't remember the part of the road I was on to go back and check it the next day. My, my excuse is that this doesn't happen to me. So I was, wasn't prepared for it. Well, I went back to my motel across the river in Gallipolis and I opened the door and the TV set turned on by itself and started flipping through channels. And I'm thinking, no, this doesn't happen to me. This happens to other people. Other people tell me about this. <laughs> and I looked at the clock and I thought, okay, no missing time. But now I'm not sure. I didn't write everything down. I, I guess it's even remotely possible that I lost some time. I don't know. But this thing's flipping through channels just nonstop. Uh, so I did what every paranormal investigator would do. I unplugged the TV and went to bed. Okay. <laughs> so the next year, about the same month, I was in the room next to that room. A couple of my buddies were all crammed in there trying to save some money. And we're talking that night. And one of the, it's one of these old style TV sets. It turned on by itself. And I thought, oh, that's weird. And then the next day, a couple of us came in the, the room to regroup. The TV set turned on and then flipped through a couple stations and then stopped. And so we did the, what, we, what I should have done before. We, we took a remote through the walls to try to see if maybe it was a stray signal or whatever, and nothing happened. A few years later, because this, this initial experience was quite a while ago, it was at one of the Mothman festivals. There were two couples in the room next to that one, and they're having trouble with their TV set. Now, it's one of these newer ones, but the, the sound keeps going down. They keep turning it up and up, and all of a sudden it starts blasting. And they kept doing this, and all of a sudden a pop can flew off the end table by itself. So I don't know what's going on in that corner of the motel. I suspect that maybe some disembodied spirit came back with me, but fortunately it's still there flipping channels. It didn't come home with me, <laughs> but that's my, you know, that's my, my only real experience. And it was, you know, other people experience weird stuff in that corner of that little motel. So. And you keep going back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's it. That's the, my only claim to, uh, experiencing the paranormal i feel like the mothman is is one of it, it, probably the most legendary tale in appalachia do you have any other appalachia sightings paranormal activity any other tales um, in appalachia that that kind of intrigue you well there was a, a guy that wrote a book called white things and he he chronicled a lot of strange creatures around that area and, and the theme was he, he found a white bigfoot he found some people were seeing some kind of something like a white lion in that general area of Appalachia. So there, there are some real oddities. There's, of course, there's the infamous Flatwoods monster, 1952. There was a some kind of a, yeah. it was like a classic landing. I mean, the kids are, are playing ball at the school. They see this light come over the hill and crash. So they go there, they go up the hill, and there's this, this thing with orange glowing eyes, kind of a round head. They, they just always draw, draw it with some kind of a, like a skirt or cone shape at the bottom, a horrible smell. The dog takes off. Several people, including an adult, see this thing. Gray Barker, who's one of the, uh, who had, uh, who ran Saucerian Publications and was quite a, uh, quite a character and, a, and an investigator from way back of the, of the unexplained in, uh, in Clarksburg, West Virginia. He investigated it early on. Also, in, in that same time period, in that area, people were seeing some kind, something like a Bigfoot creature. There are, uh, there's been quite an array of, uh, of cryptids that, uh, well, you know, it really, really happens everywhere, but uh, it, it seems like sort of, that's sort of the natural state of things for these things to kind of show up. And like Keel talked about, 
almost like they're coming in and out of some kind of a window area. They just kind of either dissipate or just go back to where they came from. Well, well Steve, this is a, this is a special episode for us being a Halloween edition, but I, I do have to ask you one question that we always ask our guests. I know you're not from uh, the area, but you've obviously spent a lot of time in, in the area. And we all, Every guest that we have on, we always ask them what the first thing that comes to mind is when they hear the word Appalachia. Um, not to say Appalachia. <laughs> There's good answer good quite, a, quite a controversy on that i i talked to a, a friend of mine in tennessee and he says they say it both ways down there but i think man i'm gonna gonna make sure where i am how to say it properly <laughs> but uh i i guess you know i i think of uh being that I, you know, it's not not something I've read about in the book. I've been there. I've seen the hills and the and the hollers and the. I guess one of the things I think of is the uh, the, uh, the my first Mothman festival, uh, two thousand and six. My wife and I went down there, and I had uh, in in the book the Mothman prophecies. He talks about this road he calls Five Mile Creek Road, and you know Keel was kind of vague about some of the places because he knew UFO investigators, or at least self-styled ones, would go there and bother people, right? Well, I was trying to find this road because that's where he and Mary Heyer, the reporter he used to work with, would sit there at night and see all these incredible lights and, and strange craft go over. So I asked some locals, I said, well, how do I find this, this road? And he, he gave me you know, directions to go down to uh, Gallipolis Ferry across the Kanawha. And he says to me, and I thought he was joking, he said, don't get lost in them hollers. <laughs> Guess who got lost in them hollers, buddy? <laughs> I well, I, I, I'm, I'm, it's dark in these narrow roads, and I'm trying to, and, I, and we're getting low on gas, and I'm thinking, how the hell am I going to get out of here? And then, just to show how, how green I was, I came down on Highway 2 along the Ohio, but I found my way out on Highway 35 along the Kanawha. <laughs> so it, it, my first thought was, how the hell did I get across the river on the other side? I didn't take a bridge. And I thought, oh, yeah, where the waters mingle, there's two rivers, dumbass. So I, I did figure it out. <laughs> well, unlike Will, I still live in Appalachia. And I, I, I know how to navigate those hollers every now and again. It can get pretty treacherous depending on what time of year it is. So. Well, we finally did find that hill which I won't, I won't divulge where it is, but we finally found that hill where John Keel and Mary Heyer and other people would stay there late at night. And this is, uh, th there was so much activity going on back then. I, I wish I could have been there just to experience it. You know, people experience all kinds of strange phenomena. It's always good to hear outsiders' perspective of, of Appalachia and what they think about it. We appreciate yours, appreciate you being on the episode. Well, well the people... Are, are, have always been fantastic. Uh, the, the people from Point Pleasant are very welcoming, very friendly. Uh, in fact, uh, Jeff Wamsley started the Mothman Festival with Carolyn Harris. Now, we lost Carolyn Harris a couple of years ago. She actually lost her little boy, who was about six, I think. He was on the bridge with his, uh, his dad, her, her ex-husband. So in spite of that tragedy, she was one of the ones that knew that if they got this festival going, it would help the locals. And she was the kind of person that she ran a, a little restaurant called Harris's Steakhouse, otherwise known as the Mothman Diner. And she would feed people for nothing, people that were down on their luck or whatever. She was just a, a pillar of the community. Just give me a second here. Yeah. Uh, walking into her restaurant was like walking to mom's kitchen at home. Truly a great lady. 
we can we can see the passion, hear the passion, and then uh, sorry for her loss. And, and, and she and, and Jeff Wamsley teamed up to do this great festival. And, uh, you know, again, we, we unfortunately lost Carolyn. Jeff uh, it just keeps improving the museum. His, his daughter, Ashley, who's another great force uh, for the festival, she has done a lot of the uh, uh, creations for the, the T-shirts and the, and the various souvenirs for the museum. She says, yeah, dad just collapses after the festival. <laughs> like, and they, nobody, nobody touches them. Just, just let them rest for a couple of weeks. So the, thir- the third week in September, right? Yes. So we'll look forward to that in uh, next year. Well, we hope we, we've uh, because of circumstances, we uh, have missed two festivals. So if you can imagine, if you can imagine those of us that uh, desperately want to have another Mothman Festival. Yeah. I mean, I, I have so much fun doing those tours in the TNT area, especially when the little kids are on board, because yeah. you can just have a lot of fun with them because they're they're looking for the Mothman. And, and there is, by the way, it's a little bit like a Halloween hayride. You're going to be accosted by by dastardly men in black that'll try and make you turn back. But also there's a guaranteed flyover of the Mothman. Oh, nice, nice. Got us interested, got us interested. (laughs) Listen, you make sure and reach out to us and let us know if uh, the festival is going to happen next year and we'll do our our best to to put that information out and make sure uh, all of our listeners know uh, when it's going to happen and how to plan to get there. Yeah. And for anybody out there, any listener out there that's near Point Pleasant or wants to visit Point Pleasant, where, where in the town is the museum and where can they find it? Well, just, uh, if you, you cross the bridge, the silver bridge into, uh, it goes right into Point Pleasant and it's right there in downtown. Uh, you'll, it'd be real easy to find that statue. Uh, everything's right there. The museum's right there. There's a low hotel, there's more, there's many, all kinds of uh, motels and hotels on the other side of the river. You have the website. I, I think it's, uh, it, it's mothmanlives.com. But, but okay. if you, if you, if you Google Mothman uh, museum or, or any of that, or the festival, you'll get all the information yeah. coming in. Steve, thank you so much for, for what you shared and, and for the story and for all that you, you do. Well, thanks for having me guys. It was a real pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for listening to our special Halloween episode. Now we're going to leave you with an Appalachian ghost story from our friends at the Omni Grove Park Inn. Happy Halloween. Stay safe while being always Appalachian. Susan Rotante from the Omni Grove Park Inn in Asheville, North Carolina, to tell us of the legend that is the Pink Lady. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me and happy Halloween. Um, The Pink Lady was a guest of a guest at the Grove Park Inn in the 1920s. She, um, and what I mean by guest of a guest was that she herself was not registered on the guest log. So she was accompanying someone else. Who that person is, we actually do not know. What we do know is that the pink lady who was coined the pink lady because she was wearing pink that day was up on the fifth floor of the historic main end of Grove Park. 
she was leaning over or she was near at least the balcony of that floor. And if you just to take a minute, if you've never been to the Grove Park Inn in the historic main inn inside the hotel, the rooms overlook a um, an atrium, like an, an indoor lobby, if you will. So each door, each floor of the main inn has a balcony that overlooks a sitting area called the Palm Court. Uh, and at the time in the 1920s, the Palm Court was a very, you know, and it still is today, a very social area where people gather and kind of hang out. So she was on the fifth floor. On the fifth floor, you overlook the Palm Court. We don't know if she tripped, if she was sitting on top of the balcony, if she was pushed, we're not sure. But somehow the pink lady fell to her demise and passed away on the floor of the Palm Court and the historic main inn. Now, no one claimed her. No one said she's with me. She's a part of my group or my party or whoever was visiting that that night. Um, and, and unfortunately, her body, yeah, went unclaimed and unidentified. She was wearing pink that day, which is why we called her or call her the pink lady. And there are so many stories of the pink lady dating back to some of the earliest recollection, recollections of the Grove Park and employees. Stories about a young woman dressed in a flowing pink dress, um, you know, where people would see her appear. Uh, she was always a nice ghost. She still roams the halls today. She does not only roam within the main inn, she roams throughout the, the, the Grove Park Inn. Um, but she often appears to children or she'll, we have reports of, you know, maybe uh, a guest fell asleep and in the, in the middle of the night, you know, they, they woke up um, to a sound maybe coming from the bathroom. It, it woke them or maybe something has moved mysteriously in the room, lights turning on. And we even have an account of someone who was sleeping and she thought her husband was back in the room and oh, wow. holding her hand and she woke up and he wasn't back in the room yet. You know, so interesting. Oh, there's so many accounts that, I mean, we could go through. We've actually had children like mail letters to the pink lady that they've seen her. And, you know, I think last Halloween, we had a really cute letter from a, a child who said that they had seen the pink lady when they were here. So, you know, there's not a lot of definite answers. Um, but yes, I think, you know, your typical ghost things, right? Like lights turning off and on, but very friendly ghost. She's very kind. Most of the full visions of the pink lady have been reported of children. By children, excuse me. Very cool. And so so as recent as last Halloween, then, if you got a letter. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Some of our earliest, I mean, our, our pink lady stories start, you know, she she passed away in the 20s. So, I mean, our, our stories date very far back. And I don't know if you know this, but earlier in the Grove Park Inn's history, so after the 20s, but, you know, I would say probably in the 90s, Grove Park used to close down for... The winter um, because, you know, Asheville, I guess at the time just didn't have enough visitors. So we, we would close the, the Grove Park down. You have a report. I thought this was fun of some Grove Park Inn employees who were kind of overlooking the inn in the winter saying that they saw like, you know, um, the sixth floor guest room lights come on and off abruptly. And like things would kind of happen during that time while we were we were shut down for the winter. So, yeah, just a lot of fun, interesting stories, but no dangerous or malicious story she's a friendly friendly ghost she's a friendly ghost and you yeah. guys have a beautiful property so to the listeners out there they can take a trip check out the omni grove park inn and try to see if they can see the pink lady yep that's right <laughs>
We have an audio history tour that you can take and, and roam throughout the inn, and it's got a pink lady section. We have a um, display dedicated to her, and honestly, all of us staff that work here know about her and can all share some fun anecdotes. There's um, additionally Asheville Ghost Tours in town that does ghost tours, and, and we are a staff on their tour. Um, and then the gray line um, bus tours, you know, the kind of the gray line trolleys that can take you all throughout Asheville to historical sites, they yeah. also stop um, at Grove Park as well. So if you're not physically staying on property, uh, one of the tours is a good way to come on, on property and hear the stories as well. Thank you so much, Susan, for, for taking the time and telling us the, the story, the legend that is the Pink Lady. You're welcome. Happy Halloween. <laughs>